One of the most fundamental truths in the Bible is that the wages of sin is death. That's how Paul summarizes it in Romans 6.23. But long before Paul wrote those words, God said essentially the same thing to the very first man he created. Genesis 2.15 tells us that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. In other words, the wages of sin is death. It's also not too surprising that when the serpent sought to deceive the woman in the garden, he began by raising questions about what God had said. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And when Eve told him what God had said, the serpent then moved to flat-out denial. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan tempted humanity to doubt the nature of sin and to doubt the reality of death. To put it another way, Satan's pitch boiled down to this lie. The wages of sin is not death. Now, on one hand, it might appear that he was right, because Adam and Eve did eat from the tree God had forbidden, and they did not die, at least not immediately. They lived many, many years, and before they died, they had children who lived long lives and had children of their own and so forth. On and on it has gone like this throughout the course of history. God is patient towards sinners. If he were not, the human race might have long ago been extinguished. If you're a follower of Christ today, there were many years in your life when God was patient toward you, when he did not give you what your sins deserved. And God shows patience and goodness toward all people. The phrase that Christians have found helpful to describe this truth is common grace. And perhaps the clearest way to define common grace is is by contrasting it with what we might call special grace or saving grace. Of course, we know that not everyone will repent and trust in Christ. Not everyone will be justified by grace through faith. But even those who are never saved still experience the goodness and patience of God in other ways. That's what we mean when we talk about common grace. John Murray defined it this way, Common grace is every favor of whatever kind or degree falling short of salvation, which this undeserving and sin-cursed world enjoys at the hand of God. In other words, common grace is a way of describing all the good things God does for sinners short of saving them. He only shows special or saving grace to those who repent and trust in His Son Jesus, but He shows common grace to all people. Let me give you some examples of of what this means. First, common grace means that God gives earthly blessings to all people. David writes in Psalm 145, The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. So it's not just that God gives earthly blessings to all people. He blesses all creatures. He feeds every living thing, every animal, every insect, every plant, every microorganism. All of God's creation depends on Him for what it needs to live. Now, Thinking more specifically of mankind, Jesus makes a similar point in Matthew 5 when He says that God makes His Son rise on the evil and the good 
and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. It's not that God only waters the crops of believers or that He only sustains the life of those who belong to Him. He gives life and breath and everything to all people. And this is completely undeserved and unearned, which is why we call it common grace. Next, common grace means that even unbelievers can do good. So the first point was that God does good even to unbelievers. And the second is that those unbelievers can themselves do good things. Now, we need to be very clear. Romans chapter 8, verse 8 says that those who are in the flesh, those who do not have the Spirit of God in them, cannot please God. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So when I say that unbelievers are capable of doing good things, I don't mean that they can please God with their good works in the same way that one of God's blood-bought children can. I mean that one of the ways God shows His goodness in the world is not only by sending rain on the just and on the unjust, but by doing good through the just and the unjust. So even an unbeliever can make good music, for example. Even an unbeliever can build safe bridges and craft beautiful homes. Unbelievers can prepare delicious food and show hospitality. They can do social work and volunteer in community organizations. Unbelievers can be firefighters and nurses. God does much good through the hands and skills and energy of people who are not born again. And that is one way that He demonstrates His common grace. The third aspect is very much related to the second. Common grace means that even unbelievers can know truth. A few weeks ago, I explained the difference between general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is the way that God has revealed truths about Himself through creation, through history, and through our conscience. Special revelation refers to the way God has revealed Himself most clearly through Jesus and through the Bible. So let's ask this question. Is it possible that unbelievers can learn things from general revelation and even teach those things to believers? The answer is absolutely. There's nothing that would inherently make a Christian researcher or historian superior to a non-Christian. Both can study God's general revelation and become experts in it. And there are many times when Christians can learn from unbelievers what they have discerned from God's general revelation. Going even a step further, Jesus says in Matthew 23, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach but do not practice. In other words, Jesus was pointing out there were some good things people could learn by listening to what the Pharisees had to teach from the Old Testament. Of course, you would not want to follow their example, but you could still learn from them. And surely we could say the same thing about learning from unbelievers today. You could imagine a historian or an archaeologist who might study the Bible purely out of an intellectual curiosity. They might not treat it with the same reverence we do, seeing it only as an historical work rather than a divine revelation. But there could still be things we learn from them from their careful study. Fourth, common grace means that God restrains evil. In other words, God keeps fallen sinners from doing all the wrong they could possibly do. And this makes sense, right? We know that all people are sinners, but not all people are genocidal terrorists. Not all people are serial killers. God restrains evil in the world. How does He do this? Well, one way God restrains evil is by giving people a conscience. 
Even unbelievers have a sense of right and wrong, of just and unjust. God also works through governing authorities who make laws and punish evildoers. Paul says in Romans 13 that rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. So God restrains evil through police officers and judges and legislators, not all of whom are believers. More broadly, God works through societies of people with a collective sense of justice and honor. Sometimes the reason people do the right thing is because of social pressure. That is one more example of God's common grace in restraining evil. And the fifth and final thing I'll say about common grace is that it means that God withholds His wrath. I'm returning now to the point I was making at the very beginning about the fact that God does not immediately strike down every sinner. He is patient with us. Every moment that He does not give to sinners the wages of their sin is grace. And the Bible makes clear that God shows patience in part to allow time for some to repent. God described himself in Exodus 34, verse 6, when he said, The Lord, the Lord a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Paul warns us in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, not to presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, because his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So that, that leads us to what are some practical takeaways for this truth about God's common grace. First, it reminds us that we don't deserve any good thing that God gives us. Whether we're talking about something as extraordinary as a full pardon from our sin or something as ordinary as breath and water and food, all that God gives us is grace. The only thing we have earned is death. So everything He gives to us is because of His grace. Second takeaway is that common grace reminds us to love our enemies. Earlier I quoted from Matthew 5 where Jesus says that God makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good and so forth. But let me back up and give you some more context. This is from Matthew 5 verses 44 and 45. Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Common grace reminds us that God is good even to those who are hostile to him. So Jesus uses that as a reason for why we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us so that we may be like our Father in heaven. Third, common grace reminds us of God's patience with us and of our need to be patient with others. So not only do we need to love our enemies, we also need to be patient with other believers. It's far too easy for us to become ungracious and unmerciful toward others, even toward fellow believers. But when we think about common grace, we ought to be reminded that there were many years when God did not give us what we deserved. Instead, He was patient with us, allowing us time to repent. And He continues to be patient with us still. He calls us to do the same. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. 
And finally, common grace reminds us not to take God's patience for granted. God is not obligated to allow an unbeliever more and more time to repent. If he was obligated, it wouldn't be grace. But again, he warns us not to take his patience for granted, not to presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience. Instead, his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Henderson Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit us on Facebook or check out our website, hendersonbaptist.org.